Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. And every fortnight I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I talk to the architect Carl Gurgis about his first project, Villa Chams, a private residence located in the arid landscape of Lebanon. Based in Beirut, Carl runs his own architecture studio, but he is also well known as a member of the band Mashru Leila, which he formed with fellow architecture students at the University of Beirut. He is in the unique position of having featured on the cover of Architectural Digest as an architect, whilst also featuring on the cover of Rolling Stone as a musician. In the interview, we talk about how he has managed to pursue his passion for architecture alongside being a successful musician. We also talk about the stunning villa that he has created and the influences behind the design. If you'd like to find out more about Carl Gurgis and Villa Chams, you can find images and links on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. For security and privacy reasons, all the images are photorealistic renders. I hope you enjoy listening. Carl, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. Very happy. Um, I'm looking forward to um, talking about your project, uh, Villa Chams, um, and also finding out more about you. And I think I think that's probably uh, the best place to start. Is um, you're already well known before being an architect and before setting up the practice um, as being part of the band Mashru Leila. Um, that I've kind of I've now got to know the band through through knowing that I was going to do an interview with you, but it has been described as the Arab world's best known indie band. Um, how has a member of that band now uh, come into being a, a successful architect? <laughs> you know, in a way, it, it, it uh, taught me a lot about um, actually like being in a... In, I'm going to start from the beginning, actually, before jumping into... <laughs> we, we started the band at, in the American University in Beirut, and we were all architects and designers. And uh, this is why we started the band, actually. And because we didn't find time, you know, to, to uh, be creative in another field uh, than architecture. Um, and it wasn't meant to last, you know, it was meant to to last for a night or two. This is why we called it Mashro Alayla, which is uh, a night's project, in English, if you translate it to English. Right. And then, in, then in, it ended up, you know, lasting for 12 years. <laughs> and, you know, being in a band and being an architect, I think that the two fields really overlapped. And when I worked, you know, when back when I was in college, my thesis explored the, the, the relationship between music and architecture. So uh, in a way, like for me, the, the, the two fields really like feed up, feed off each mm-hmm. other. And uh, I never stopped being an architect. So even when, when we were touring with the band, we also, we, 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 you know, we, we never stopped, you know, visiting museums, exploring architecture. Uh, I even worked on projects on the side in parallel. You know, when I was back in my hotel room after a concert, for example, I, 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 um, I used to, you know, sketch and draft ideas because it's a way for me to, um, stay grounded because when you're performing in front of an audience, it's very easy to, um, how do you say, to, to, uh, 
lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hectic. You always have people uh, screaming and like uh, the, the, the adrenaline is really high. So I really, I needed something to keep me uh, grounded and architecture really does that to me. And it really uh, calms me. Calms me. Mm -hmm. So other members of the band, are they practicing architects as well? No, I'm the only one. Uh, the others are actually, we, ha we have two other architects and one, one uh, designer, graphic designer. But like they're each doing something else. I'm the only one mm -hmm. uh, practicing architecture because it was really a passion for me since the, the beginning. And I was always like holding, I was holding, I didn't want to lose it actually. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to grow old without, you know, uh, having launched my, my own studio, etc. And in well, a way, uh, the, sorry, I'm interrupting you, but, but like in a way, you know, with everything that happened and with COVID, I felt like that was the moment, you know, the right moment to launch my studio, even though on paper, it's not a perfect moment. But like it felt like a pause, and because I stopped, you know, traveling a lot, and mm. my lifestyle became a bit more um, stable, I felt like it was the right time to launch my studio. And it's really working. I mean, the output is. I mean, Villa Chams, the project we're going to be talking about today, um, it seems to be the project that you kind of did launch yourself with. I know you've kind of been working on it a, f a few years, probably going back three or four years, um, but you've really used that as the sort of launch pad for the for the company. And, but what I've really liked as well is if you kind of follow and reading the Instagram as well, is there's almost, and I don't know whether this is the benefit of having had a separate, totally different career, um, but there's almost a kind of childlike quality to the excitement of, Oh wow! I can't believe my project's being published, and I can't believe this. <laughs> and um, and it's really nice. I can feel that energy. Does it feel like that? Does it feel like this was something that you've been waiting for and you'd put off? Yes, I mean, I I, I wasn't expecting also, you know, for, like to have any attention, um, because you know, I, like I'm relatively new in the field, even though I've been practicing for for a long time, and I wanted this launch to be special, and it was uh, like I I felt like. COVID and especially the situation in Lebanon uh, were going to overshadow in a way this moment, but they like it worked actually, it, it worked just fine. And this project is really special for me because it's, it's very symbolic for many reasons. Uh, the first one is that it's in Malbec and I don't know if you know Malbec, if you actually, have you been to Lebanon or? I haven't been Lebanon. to Lebanon, no. Yeah, like it's a beautiful country, even though like now it's really not at its greatest, uh, <laughs> but it's a beautiful country. And we have in Baalbek, it's a huge, one of the largest Roman sites in the world. And it's called uh, Baalbek after the sun, because mm -hmm. there were like many temples there, etc. And I had the chance to perform in one of the temples with my band in 2012. Wow. And it was like the concert that made us realize that we should, you know, we should, we should pursue music as a career because like it was really very intense and it was packed and it was really a very strong moment in my, in my career. So Baalbek really represents, you know, this for me. And uh, five years later, I was asked to design a, a, a villa there. So naturally I, I got very excited and, um, and also back in the days, you know, it was right after I, gra I graduated in 2011 and I had been working on a thesis that 
as I told you, explores the relationship between music and architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, the two fields had, you know, since uh, hundreds of years, they, they, they've been connected uh, through proportions and through uh, harmony, etc. And a lot of architects explored this relationship. And uh, I used it actually to develop the facade of, of uh, Villa Champs. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, to join, join uh, music and architecture in Malbec. This is what this was like the starting point. My main source of my main source of inspiration. And and Malbec is, um, it's it's a rural kind of it's a smaller town outside of Beirut, and it, it's a UNESCO site as well. There's, there's Roman Roman ruins there. Um, and how did that um, influence the the project? The actual I know. You, you mentioned about performing uh, in one of the rooms, but I do also think there's a, a real strong element of this project looks like a kind of nod to um, a Roman villa or almost not a Roman villa, but a Roman ruin. It looks like it's something that's been there for a long time. Yes, yeah, you're completely right because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on site, you know, exploring and uh, sketching and taking pictures and just like w watching like the beauty of, of nature there, because really it's one of the rare regions that's, that are still intact, that are still uh, very wild and very raw. And those massive temples, like you see those massive Roman temples, they, they are in tune with nature. They are very, even though they're massive and monumental, they're really blend in, blend with, uh, blend in with the environment. Mm -hmm. And this is what I wanted to like, at least try to achieve with, with the, the villa. So I worked, you know, with those proportions, with a grid, uh, with very long columns, um, with one floor. I didn't want to have many floors. I really wanted to be uh, very long and integrated uh, in the site. And we worked a lot with, um, because like in all my projects, I try to uh, get inspired by, by what's already on site. Mm -hmm by the context and so we worked a lot with um materials that we find found on site so the concrete has been mixed with earth um the terrazzo of the floor and the pool uh, was, was also a mix of concrete and aggregates and pebbles that were found, found on site um so it was really like fun to work there because the site was untouched and i you know even for the landscaping uh, I felt that like nature did all the work almost for me because there were like uh, old olive trees, very old olive trees and cacti and, uh, you know, local uh, native species. Mm -hmm. So I tried to preserve them as much as possible. And even like the, I used the rocks uh, to create some of the walls inside of the bathrooms, for example. And some, some of them uh, literally go inside the pool so uh, there were there were a lot of elements that you know allowed allowed me to to be creative and to to have fun. And what about the clients for for the villa? Um, I mean, how did they find you? If, if you know, coming from the background of music and not having a a practice set up, how did this project start? Uh, they came from friends in common and connections because because I had worked on uh, a couple of interiors in in two thousand thirteen and fourteen. And I did also like a small house in the mountain, in the mountains. So there were like through connections. Uh, there, there are, I, I, like I told you, there are really very private and very like, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, anonymous clients. I wanted uh, to say anonymous because of 
the situation in Lebanon and because of the the, um, the nature of Baalbek. Baalbek is not very safe. Uh, it's like two hours far from Beirut and it's uh, a bit, you know, uh, a risky area, mm-hmm. especially if you're not from the region. Uh, so they wanted to keep, you know, the, the, the exact location secret because there is literally nothing around the villa. So it's a bit scary, you know, to, <laughs> uh, and I wasn't allowed to take pictures and I was like allowed to take photos. And this is why I, I had to use a renders to, um, to publish my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, extremely convincing renders as well. They, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I put, I put, uh, I, like a lot of efforts in producing them as real as possible because I wanted yeah. to give justice to the actual villa. And for people, like a lot of listeners might not kind of understand the context that maybe you're working with because you're talking about the area and it not being safe. Um, what kind of impact did that have on the project? And and maybe if you could tell a little bit more maybe about that context that you were working in for this house. I mean, the, the context is safe, but... Uh, it's very particular to the region, like working on site wasn't really uh, risky, you know what I mean? But like Mm -hmm. being there alone at night uh, could be a bit uh, scary, I guess. And because like, because Lebanon is very complicated in like politically and religiously, Baalbek is a bit, is like, is a a sensitive uh, zone. It's a Mm -hmm. sensitive area. Uh, so this is why probably I think they wanted to, to stay anonymous, but like for me personally, I didn't, I never felt, uh, threatened or in danger. So as a design then for a house, it's, it's quite a permeable building. It's quite open. It's colonnaded as there's a water pool that, that literally flows through the house like a river. How, um, how is the design then responding in terms of security? Cause you know, it sounds like you wouldn't necessarily want a very open-sided house in this context. Um, yeah, you're, you're completely right, and it was it was actually a, a, a concern for us. And actually, what you don't see it in the renders is that above the windows you have like a, a piece of wood, and behind, behind this piece of wood, like uh, inside the full ceiling, you have metallic shutters that close the entire house. Mm-hmm. So uh, I suppose that at night, uh, before they uh, go to bed, they close the entire uh, structure. So it becomes like a bunker, uh, like a concrete bunker and all the openings and all the, the glass facades are uh, completely closed. Mm-hmm. And so then how did this project kind of develop in from a design point of view? Cause I'm, I'm always interested, particularly when, um, when it's quite an early project and an architect doesn't have much of a track record. There's so much more importance on trust, on process and presentation skills. And I've noticed before you've you've done some beautiful kind of sketches using Copic um, yeah. markers and things like that. Just maybe want to understand how how that worked, what your process was like with these clients and s- selling these ideas that you had. You know, funnily enough, uh, being a musician uh, taught me a lot in uh, uh, presenting my ideas because I had to work with uh, four different bandmates and I had to convince them all, you know. <laughs> so it was very, really, uh, I, I, I know how to work uh, at the client's like how to convince people and how to convey my ideas. And I spent a, I spent a lot of time uh, uh, working on presentations and on telling a story and for me, like the story is the mo- most important thing. Mm-hmm. And 
it was really easy for me and really natural to tell the story of Villa Shams because of what it meant to me and because of the, of Baalbek and because of like the music, etc. So, um, and I, like you said, I, I, I love to sketch. I love to do renderings and I love to, you know, spend uh, time on site and I love plants and, uh, you know, botanical illustrations, etc. So I think they all played a part, you know, in, in telling the story and in um, building a trust between me and the client. And wh- where do you start, though, with something like this? Like, did you, w- was there a moment that there was a clear start? Was there a moment when you were drawing a rectangular form or you were drawing a plan or or a, a review in this landscape? Or did it very much evolve in a non-directional way? Yeah, it was a really, uh, it was one of the simplest process, <laughs> processes for me. To me, I, I was really lucky because uh, the clients were really uh, extremely uh, uh, comprehensive, you know, and uh, they gave me a lot of freedom of, and a lot of trust. So I didn't really feel, you know, the pressure of uh, wanting to satisfy, satisfy them. I never actually, I, I'm not able to operate uh, that way. I need to feel that uh, I'm free in my creative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it was the same with, with the music. You know, we never signed with a label because of this, because we wanted to keep our freedom of uh, expression and being f- like totally free. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, like I, I started sketching uh, Roman temples and, you know, it's like very, uh, it's a, uh, the proportions are, are like very simple with columns, etc. And I was like, this is interesting. I could maybe, you know, work, work a bit with the grid and work, uh, I like working with the constraints. It's very difficult for me to work, you know, uh, on a white canvas without any constraints. Mm. So I need to find uh, constraints. Usually I, uh, they're derived from the context and from the site, etc. And once like I have everything, it, the project really uh, comes naturally. Um, and what constraint did you create here then? Uh, the Like the first... Uh, pr- priority for me was preserving the site and the nature and the rocks, etc. Uh, so I couldn't uh, get you know large trucks and large uh, cranes, etc. Uh, et so I, I needed to be able to work with uh, small bobcats that were like operating between the rocks uh, and mm-hmm. the cacti. So that was the first constraint. So the structure couldn't be really uh, very complicated and, and massive. Um, and the other, the other constraint was, uh, the, the materials. So it's super simple. I wanted to use, you know, the earth and the, the rocks and the pebbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was different relations depending because the, sl- the site is a bit sloped, a bit sloped. I wanted to have different relationships between inside and outside. So as we uh, went, uh, as we developed the project, I decided on site that here, let's use this rock to, you know, close the view or in this area, for example, I want to be uh, at my eye level at the ground level, like my eyes are at the ground level outside. And when the, where we have the pool, for example, I wanted it to be really opened uh, towards the view and the sky. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was really a very easy, easy and inspiring process. Mm. 
Was this, um, did you have to decide the location of the house on the site no. or was that already predefined? They, they, they have a huge piece of land. Uh, so I just uh, chose the more, most strategic uh, emplacement, uh, location. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose that, like where I had the less trees to remove and where the ground was relatively uh, leveled because I didn't want to, you know, uh, do leveling on the ground and do a lot of excavation. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit because you touched upon composition and you said you're doing a lot of studying of, of Roman temples. And um, I mean, a clear element of the composition here is there's there's a very clear grid there's a rhythm to the to the building um it was that i was wondering whether that was maybe a constraint that you also placed on yourself i think a lot of architects do that of create a grid and then that's a kind of underlying structure with which to work to um was that something that you decided at a certain point was it something that was maybe specifically based on exact proportions taken from classical architecture i i actually i wanted to have a grid because i i did a lot of analysis on on Roman temples, but it d- didn't necessarily come from, you know, the perfect proportions of mm. or classic, classical proportions. Because I, I think like in modern days, it's very tough to achieve, you know, what they used to achieve back in the days because they didn't have time limitations or budget limitations or scale limitations. This is why when you see a Roman temple, it's it's beautiful because it's massive and it took like 50 years to uh, mm-hmm. be uh, developed and built. So I, I don't think we can afford uh, developing golden or like uh, perfect proportions. But like for me, working with a grid was natural because I wanted to, you know, have a rhythmic, a rhythmic facade because it's just one floor. Uh, like for me, intuitively, the only uh, logical solution I found to uh, make the facade interesting and uh, not just interesting. Um, I don't uh, like. I, I need to have a system, you know. I, I can't just draw a facade and make it nice. I, I needed to uh, find a system, a system that allows me to uh, open when when I need it, to to have a, a blind wall when when needed, etc. So it, it was a reflex to draw to draw this grid. Mm-hmm. And the the structure of the building, so the grid and the columns, that's obviously obviously integral to how this building's put together. What is the actual structure? What are these columns? What are they made of, and and what's supporting the roof? Uh, they're actually U's, inverted U's, like the letter, and they're just equidistant uh, U-shaped. Uh, it's like two columns with a with a beam joining them, and it's reinforced uh, concrete with uh, earth. And then the, the poured earth concrete walls is that material that's taken from the site that gives the kind of lovely texture to the building. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But we needed to, to add a lot of concrete to stable in order to st- stabilize uh, the earth. Like mm-hmm. originally I wanted to do it only with uh, earth, poured earth, but you know, we, we, uh, we did studies on the structure and it wasn't really uh, feasible. So we, we, we needed to add 20 or 30% of, cement to be able to uh, have a strong a strong uh, mm. core because the proportions are so thin the columns they're kind of they're thin and, and we have like a leg. big exactly and the range is 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 relatively uh, long 
Yeah. Uh, and once you know, once I created this uh, this uh, structure, some parts are indoors, others are outdoors, and um, uh, actually in plan, it's like two rectangles that are overlapping, and the part where they overlap is uh, carved out, and you have like skylights and in and a small garden, an indoor garden. Yeah, so I mean, maybe let's talk through the plan a little bit and the arrangement of of the villa. Is these yeah. two two wings um, down? There's a kind of central spine corridor running through. And where do you enter the building? Because we've got the pool at one end, haven't we? And then there's the the terrace at the other. Actually, the way the, the building was designed, it was to be approached from uh, two sides, right? Because you can't really get very clo- close uh, uh, driving, so you need to park your car a bit far and then walk. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, two quarters, like the, the rectangle on the left is the um, private uh, part, so where you have the bedrooms, etc. And on the right, you have the other rectangle uh, containing uh, housing, the, the living space and the uh, dining and the kitchen. And the, the intersection is like the corridor that you mentioned, is like the connection between the two, the two spaces. So you can either enter the, the house from the right, like... Uh, poolside through the living room or from the bedrooms they have like a, a remote uh, terrace in front of them and you could just enter through the terrace directly into the rooms really interesting composition I, I love the I mean I love the building I love the form of the building um, but l- looking at the plan I think there's quite a few clever things going on here um, and one of them is that the building's got a direction it's it's linear in, in one way and you've got this central axis that runs through the middle the other dominant feature you've got is this pool that runs perpendicular to that um, and one of the entrances enters on that central access and crosses the pool as you go in and you come right into the middle of the building. So in a traditional sense, it's symmetrical. Um, but your other entrance approaches the central spine again, but it approaches it perpendicular. So you, you enter from, from a different route, but that theme then, I think it gets picked up again and again in the plan. There's, there's various kind of yes, little surprises, right. <laughs> but I love how, I mean, you've got four lines of columns, running the length of the building that kind of perforates. But that central spine is not, it's not a corridor per se, is it? It's one part mm-hmm. of it's open onto an outside terrace, but I love how when you get into the living space, it actually, the corridor becomes part of that living space and you, you, you cross through, um, cross through the columns. Uh, maybe, um, I mean, it might be, it might be good if we talk, sort of take a little walk through and we'll just have to pick one of the entrances i'd suggest we pick the entrance <laughs> where you go over the pool the spectacular yeah. entrance um, i think that you know uh, you know the plan better than me <laughs> <laughs> well, i've got it right in front of me so uh, <laughs> um but maybe if we if we if we could sort of walk through and you kind of talk me through um just sort of moving through this house because uh, there's so many things going on here and like i said it's such a beautiful composition but if you're entering via the pool what's the first kind of experience of what was important to you in terms of approaching this building um from that yeah, way? i wanted to create like an interesting uh, itinerary uh, like i told you the site is uh, sloped so i wanted the house to follow naturally the the, mm. the slope of the site so you never walk straight you always have like a couple of steps 
uh, it creates really an interesting relationship between the different spaces. Uh, so when you enter from the pool, you have a couple of steps. You enter and you have this corridor that we mentioned that actually isn't a corridor. It's like a colonnade. I don't know how you say it in English, mm-hmm. but you yeah. have two rows of columns on your left and on, and on your right. And on your left side, you're a bit higher than the living room. So you can uh, look at the living room and through the living room, you can see the terrace outside and the mountains, etc. And above your head, you have all the skylights uh, pouring uh, light inside the house. And on your right, you have uh, like a fireplace, a central fireplace. And from both sides, you can enter the music and reading room on the right. And if you continue straight, you go straight to the, the rooms. So you have three consecutive rooms. You have your first, the, the master bedroom on your right, and then the two uh, rooms for like the, the family. And if once can... you get to, sorry, uh, just the last thing. Once you get to uh, the two the two rooms, uh, you feel completely secluded, and you have mm. because like the two rectangles are a bit uh, shifted. You have this recessed. Uh, a terrace with a fountain, so you always have the sound of water in the background, uh, which is really like uh, serene. And, and that's one of the successes of the project, isn't it? Of this combination of seclusion and then openness to the landscape, it really does vary as you move through the building. Um, but if I pull you sort of back a bit to that first living room where you come in, you describe that you come in down this central spine and through the colonnade on the left, you step down. That living room is just spectacular. I mean. It's. It looks like it could be a great kind of Roman ruin from Emperor Nero's <laughs> palace or something. Um, but there's one of the views where you're kind of looking from the living room, and you, the colonnades you, they turn into into beams as well above. So you, the structure's kind of working on two planes that the light filters through. But really dramatic proportions. It's very high ceilings. I don't know how how tall are these ceilings in this space. It's I think around four point. I don't have round numbers because, like I told you, the ground varies inside the house. It's around 4.2, I guess. Like the highest ceiling is above the pool and the lowest ceiling is above the bedrooms, which is really convenient because you don't need a lot of height inside the bedrooms and you need to be able to heat the spaces and or to cool the spaces. So the, the, the living room is like in between. Above the pool, I think it's around 4.6 or 4.8. Uh, the living is uh, 4.2. In the bedrooms, it's around 2.8, I guess. But that's yeah. the, the roof for the building is, is horizontal. It's all the same, isn't it? So yes. that is all achieved yes. through the ground, just yes. stepping up. As you move through the house, you gradually step up and step up. Exactly. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, well, um, and then... Maybe tell me a little bit about the materials on on the inside of this space because light and the form is playing a key thing here. Of the light shooting through the colonnades and shooting through those the middle sort of opening down the central spine of the building, so it's kind of cross lighting this the main living space particularly. Um, but it's also very kind of dappled. It's washing off this natural sort of surface texture. Is this is the same material from the outside? Is it the same material everywhere internally? Yes, as well? yes. It's like I wanted to have this like a monochromatic landscape, like you know, very similar to the Roman temples. They only back in the days they used to cover it in plaster and paint it, but with time uh the plaster you know uh, wore off and it, it disappeared and only the stones remained. Mm-hmm. So uh I wanted to to use this palette of color like a monochromatic uh, material. And for me, the, 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 
the thing that would make the difference was the light. So I really wanted to use the light, uh, like you said, to you know, render different qualities of the, of the space and to make some spaces more dr dramatic than others. Uh, for instance, this corridor is really dramatic because you have those uh, very high uh, ceilings with the skylight. So uh, the, the columns are really uh, highlighted. Whereas where you're inside the bathroom, for example, you're almost like in a cave. Um, the ceiling is really low and you're really close to the rocks. So you, mm. you really feel cocooned inside a cave. So I, I, I try to use, you know, I know it's a cliche to say, but like the light as a material as well, mm -hmm. because I only use concrete and I wanted to have more, uh, more things to be able to express uh, you know, my, my ideas. And in the bathroom, in one of the bathrooms, there's the rough-hewn rock that forms the kind of backdrop to the shower and the bath. And again, from the ceiling, the light's washing down. But this is a very, very kind of jagged surface. Is that actual existing rock from the site that you've incorporated as one wall? Yes. Uh, uh, of course, it's treated. We, we, need, we, we treated the rock and we closed, you know, all the small cracks and all the pores, etc. And we even uh, painted with the material to... Uh, to make sure like no bugs and no nothing like really infl infiltrate the bathroom. But yeah, it's, uh, you can really feel it and you can touch it while uh, you're taking a bath. And how did you achieve that? Did you have to do, did you have to cut into the landscape at all for that? Or was that a key part of placing? The no, building? no, no. Actually, this is why I spent so much time uh, on site. It was because of these small uh, uh, surprises that we got while building the site. Uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really meant to to be there, but we we just stumbled upon this rock, and uh, uh, the contractor asked me that like, do you want do you want to uh, remove the, this rock or we keep it? And I was like, mm -hmm. we we keep it. <laughs> so almost almost accidental. It's almost a response. Yes, there we had a lot of we had a lot of like really uh, accidental nice uh, surprises on site. Yeah, and so these bedrooms are. I mean, they're really cozy. They're kind of tucked in against this rock um, and the bathrooms open up and bring light down against the rock but actually the bedrooms they seem to more open towards that central spine and through um, through the kind of corridor and out onto the patio that's where they get their view and light I mean there's something very there seems to be something very grounding about that that the living spaces are taller uh, but they're and they're more open on the sides and then the bedrooms there's a, a sense of security they're kind of you can you can have your back against solid rock against the earth Exactly, you said it. You said it very well. Uh, it was really natural, you know, to place the bedrooms there. And uh, we have something really typical in Lebanon. We used to have in all the traditional houses those very long corridors with columns that went, you know, all along uh, the, the 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 rooms. And I don't know if you noticed, but like in front of the rooms, you also have a corridor that is glazed from both sides. So in summer, uh, the, the, the first layer of glass is completely open. So the rooms are really like literally outside. And in winter, you walk inside a double, um, a double layer of glass on your left and on your, on your right. Mm -hmm. So it was like an, an uh, homage to those Lebanese, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, but like those Lebanese promenades that are usually like between two layers of columns 
And what's the climate like here in terms of weather? Um, what are you responding to as, as an architect here? Actually, Baalbek is located between two uh, chains of mountains. It's like a plateau uh, located in two, between two chains of mountains. So it has an arid climate during the day. In summer, the temperature are re relatively high, but it's like dry. And at night, it's uh, crisp. And in winter, it's really cold, like it snows sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have like big differences of temperature between uh, day and night. So this is why you have a lot of fireplaces and fire pits. Mm -hmm. um, oh. Yeah. And did that present any kind of challenges or other constraints that, that really have to be considered because of its kind of remote location? Not really. I think uh, the material that we used helped us a lot. The fact that the walls are really thick and they're like, they're naturally, uh, insulating so they they you know when you have a difference of temperature a, mm -hmm. a big difference of temperature between day and night you need to really isolate uh, the walls and you know we usually build double walls and use rock wall rock wall in between but here we because we have rocks and we like the proportions are massive and we used earth uh we just needed to you know to use the thick walls and like double glazing mm -hmm. and it really uh the trick. And, I mean, we talked a little bit about the about the natural materials, how important they were for you on to be monochromatic on the walls, um, but also this then the, the really sharp contrast of the natural rock in the bathrooms. But I think there's another really key feature of this house, of it, which is the floor. It's a it's a terrazzo floor, um, but I've read somewhere of a description of of you saying that it's it's like the floor massages the feet. Um, which I really like that kind of thought of, I'm assuming it's quite quite a textured um, terrazzo. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about that? You know, this is uh, the influence. Uh, there is a big influence that uh, Peter Zumthor uh, had. Uh, it goes back to like six years ago. I went to uh, Vals. You mm -hmm. know the terms in yep. Vals? So have you been there? Yeah, I've been uh I think I've been a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, so like <laughs> this place is really like, for me, it's one of the most uh, grounding spaces I've ever yes. been to and it's very inspiring. And the fact that, you know, he used uh, volcanic rocks to build the entire structure and the fact that you have different, in each bath, you really have a different quality, a different smell, mm -hmm. different texture, a different color, uh, just because of the, the water and the qualities of the water. And I remember once I, I, I was in the hot, uh, hot bath and the, you, I really felt, you know, the texture of the stones with my feet. Mm. And I just was like, I should recreate this in my projects because we, we often, you know, forget about, uh, all the senses. Mm. Uh, usually we just want to please, you know, the, the, uh, what do you say? The, the, view visual yeah the visual yeah exactly and the smell but like we forget about the textures and the senses and we forget that our feet are really sensitive so uh like the the swimming pool for me was where i used this technique mm -hmm. uh so when you're inside the swimming pool the the aggregates of the terrazzo are exposed so they are brushed and so when you walk walk barefoot in, inside the pool it's rough and massages your feet mm-hmm yeah yeah and no, i i mean i agree i think it's i love it i mean we're talking about 
projects on on a podcast it's with architects is it's great because we get to talk about things like the other senses that maybe aren't conveyed in pictures as well um but i mean in mentioning peter zumpter i can definitely see a lot of the inspiration and, and influence is is there in on this project i mean one of the features that i love of the house is these huge doors that you've got going into that kind of music room and study um which are also kind of i, th- I think he has those features in in certain vowels as well but What's the what's the thinking behind those? I mean, they're so dramatic. They're probably like four meters high. Are these doors? Yeah, yeah, they're like floor to ceiling, and they're pivot pivot doors. Uh, you know, I, I usually hate designing uh, carpentry like doors and and closets. I don't know why I don't like <laughs> designing them because I, I feel like they, they 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 didn't really evolve a lot. So for me, like the door is just like a rectangle that opens. You know, I don't. The, the simplest, the better, I think. The simpler, the better. And for me, uh, once again, it was like natural to just, you know, I have an opening, I need to close this opening, I just draw a rectangle that opens, you know, without any frames or without any uh, extra thing. But like uh, the interesting thing with these doors, because they are really high, we, ne- we needed to uh, uh, jo- work on the joining of the wood. You do, we, we couldn't find... Uh, four mm. meter high planks. So I don't know if you noticed, but like they're cut uh, in interesting in an interesting way. They're cut uh, diagonally, and uh, the and they uh, they are connected with a tongue and groove uh, technique. So mm-hmm. like the details of the door are uh, uh, what makes them special, I guess. And I mean, it's interesting what you say about joinery and not enjoying sometimes drawing those kind of things. I mean, what's quite nice about this house is actually the walls, it, they're very timeless spaces. We've referenced obviously Roman ruins. They're very sculptural, elemental spaces. And a lot of the furniture is freestanding apart from some, there's some key items and benches and things built out of concrete. Then a lot of the other items are freestanding furniture. How important was that part of the, the project in terms of an interior design? And um, were, you, were you involved in the furnishing of the house? Yes, uh, for this actual project, I worked literally on every single detail. So I worked on the villa, I worked on the interiors, I worked on the landscaping. So yes, it was really important, uh, uh, you know, to really uh, uh, choose the right, uh, the right pieces and the right furniture. And here it, it was, like you said, it was a mix of, you know, designers and custom made uh, stuff and even like some vintage uh, furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was important for me to have, you know, a balance. Uh, I didn't, I didn't want it to look like a museum, you know, or, or like with uh, a lot of fancy, uh, fancy pieces. So uh, there is a, 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 a tribal aspect to it, but at the same time, you have, you know, the uh, the Vladimir Kagan couch and the uh, Charlotte Perriand uh, uh, pieces mm-hmm. and the piano. Um, so yeah, it was, a, I think, a, the right mix of designers mm-hmm. and, and just uh, reclaimed. And there is a, there's a grand piano in the main living room. As, as a musician, how does this building perform acoustically? Uh, like this piano was a symbolic, <laughs> it was symbolic there. Uh, they didn't want to put a piano, but I, 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 I forced them to put one. <laughs> Wait, so they don't, they don't play the piano? No, the the kids play the piano, uh, <laughs> but they 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 uh, they had a, a, like a, an upright uh, Yamaha piano, I, and their grandmother, I think, uh, 
had this old uh, wooden piano that we ended up uh, placing in the in the living room. Uh, the acoustics are ter- terrible. <laughs> I think <laughs> really? I, I think no, they're, they're great for you know cha- chamber music. Like they're great if you have a quartet or for a piano, for instance. But like if you want to uh, play a concert or like music, you have a lot of uh, reverberation, a lot of. Uh, uh, because the space is really like huge and in concrete, so you don't you don't you don't really have uh, materials that uh, absorb sound. So like the sound mm-hmm. gets reflected everywhere. So it's quite yeah. a reverberant um, space. How how important is acoustics to you? Do you think in the design of the home and and how it should be considered? It's important. Like for this space, for this particular space, I wanted to have you know the sound of the pool. Like water for me is a really important feature. Mm-hmm. The sound of water uh, really uh, uh, calms me, and I think it's a great quality. If you like, if you have the luxury of having a water feature in the in the space, it's really uh, I I go out of my way, you know, to cap, cap, capture its sound. Uh, so the pool, you know, you, when you're in the living room, you can hear the water of the pool. Uh, in the bathroom, uh, I uh, I wanted you know to have hard reflective surfaces. Uh, also, too, you know, when you have a shower, you can hear the water dripping, mm-hmm. etc. In the music, and uh, like there is a room uh, on the right of the living space, you know, the reading and the music room. Uh, this room was treated, you know, acoustically. So uh, we have like uh, even the couch helps. Uh, in absorbing the sound, you have a huge, a huge uh, living divani mm-hmm. uh, couch in the center, and we also worked you know, on on the ceiling, on the edges. We have also acoustic panels, so this room was treated to be able to, you know, enjoy music or like a conversation, like a cozy conversation. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you know we talked about the furniture and how you were very involved in in designing and deciding nearly everything for this house. But you also mentioned the landscape as well. I was going to ask about the landscape of, I was going to ask who you'd collaborated with to, to do it, but this is all your, all your design here. How, I mean, the very key fundamental aspect to this house is this landscape because it's, it is a very inside outside house. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about the design for that? You know, I was very lucky, like I said, because the site was already, uh, beautiful and very elegant and untouched for hundreds of years. Uh, so, and, and naturally, you know, when I work on the landscape, I like to work with native uh, species and native plants. Uh, I'm like, I'm a plant lover and I, I really like, I spent a lot of time you know, exploring and doing research on what types of plants grow in the region. Uh, because I find it really weird, you know, uh, gardens that have trees that have nothing to do with, with the context. So uh, naturally, olive trees were growing there, uh, and there were actually a lot of them on site. And those uh, cacti, mm. uh, which are called opuntia, um, they have those uh, fruits with uh, mm-hmm. uh, pink, yellow, and orange flowers. They're gorgeous when, when, they're, when they are filled with them. Um, and the rocks played a big part of the landscaping. Yeah. So it was like I approached it a bit uh, with layers. So you have the villa uh, that is really long, and I wanted to play with the different, you know, like in a, a theater when you go watch a play, you have different decors that they put, and they work with different layers. 
So I have like one layer of uh, cacti, another layer of uh, olive trees, another layer of, uh, of rocks. And it creates like an interesting uh, play. And uh, depending on where you are in the house and where, how you are approaching the house, you have different, you know, different superposition of, of, of uh, nature. And even, you know, the mountains uh, play a big role because it's like the backdrop, almost uh, like 360. And how does this landscape sort of stop? I imagine it kind of just what you've designed and your intervention just gradually kind of fizzles away and into the natural landscape. Am I right in that? I think? Exactly. Yeah. Because I, I told you Baalbek is located between two chains of mountains. So literally you're surrounded with mountains and when you have, you know, fog, it's really super dramatic. And like, like you said, you know, nature just vanishes. You don't see the end. It's never like an abrupt uh, cut. So I wanted also to achieve this with the landscaping. So the, the, the trees naturally fade away and the, the rocks naturally fade. They, they blend with the surroundings. I kind of imagine this project, if you did see it from the air, you probably would wouldn't be able to find it as in it just looks like yeah, it's very exactly. much grown from from the ground um and again i'm sorry i'm just going to be touching on roman ruins again but um how do you think this building's going to age over time because i think it is it does feel and look like a very timeless building but what, what have you thought about that in 50 years 100 years time yes of course like you know i i love how moss grows on concrete or grows on 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 walls and i really imagine this space to uh to get older. And I, I, you know, this is why I don't work a lot with synthetic materials because for me, it's natural for a space to age, you know, like if you go and see, for example, my grandmother's kitchen, I love the way it aged. I love the way uh, the marble aged. Uh, it tells a story and it was the same thing for the building. I wanted the external uh, facade to, uh, you know, to get, uh, War with time and uh, even the pool, you know, the columns go inside the pool. So naturally with time, they're going to get a bit uh, greenish. Uh, I love this. I love how uh, the materials interact uh, with water, with uh, sun, with, uh, with the surroundings. Um, so, yeah, I, I consciously wanted to, to leave the material untreated. And have you been back to the house much since it's been finished? Unfortunately, you know, not, no, and especially with what, after what happened uh, recently in Beirut, I didn't have the chance to, to go, and especially where like lockdown and COVID and the explosion, and so many things. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come to that actually in a minute, but I mean, yeah. the, in terms of the family then, have, if, have you been in contact with them? Have they given, have you had much feedback? Have they, have they been, have they managed to move into the property? Yeah, yeah. They, li they live there. They're very happy because they are uh, locked there in a way because of uh, everything that's happening and they really are enjoying their time. So, and what's, yeah. what kind of feedback have they given about living in this place? Uh, they're very happy. They spend a lot of time in the pool and I, I, I get why. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's completely serene. I feel that they're like in holidays all year long <laughs> because it's so remote, you know, it's so far from everything. Mm. Uh, there is nothing around them. Um, it's a, I think it's a perfect spot to, for a lockdown because you have everything that you need and uh, you have a, like almost a private spa because of, you know, the qualities of the, the, the pool and the, 
also uh, you know the the hotel the amangiri in in uh, in the states the no i don't sorry you should check it out it, it was also a huge uh, inspiration for me it's a resort in in utah in the desert what's uh, it called amangiri amangiri a m a n g i r i oh, i don't know that yeah. um and what what have you what kind of lessons learned from doing this project as your first sort of fully kind of built villa um i, I don't think it was a, a, a the, the the best first project for me because it was because it was too easy <laughs> it wasn't like <laughs> I, I was really lucky you know like a lot of things played in my advantage and I noticed later that you, it's very tough to, you know, to stumble upon a client who's that flexible and that, uh, uh, how do you say, like understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I was re- really lucky with this, uh, with this project, but I learned a lot of uh, things working on site. I, I learned that, uh, especially when you're building villas and projects uh, that are uh, in nature, it's really important to spend time there because you might really get sur- surprises and you might even adapt and change your project depending on the, these uh, situations. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm working on a new, on a new project uh, in the mountains north, like on a site that has a, a view on the sea. And so I, I spend a lot, a lot of time there because... Like I told you, like we, we discover a rock or we discover a tree that could change everything. It's not like building a building in a city where you have just a plot and you you work on, you know, on AutoCAD or on like sketching uh, something that is super efficient that fits inside mm-hmm. a plot. It's much more, uh, much more free than that. So I think and- it's really important to spend a lot of time in the site, even to observe the sun and the, the, the light and, you know, the, the traje- trajectory of the sun. And yeah. since publishing this project, then what's it kind of done for your career? I imagine, it, you know, you've probably had quite a lot of people approaching you saying, asking for houses, I'm going to guess. Um, yes and no, because because of the situation, sadly, in Lebanon and because of the world, you know, like the world is... Like the, 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 the priorities aren't really building houses now. Unfortunately, in Lebanon, it's like more about survival. But I got approached, yes, by, by a, few, a few clients. Uh, but like we're in, a, we're, we're, in, we're in this place where it's tough for us to, you know, to forget about what's happening and just, uh, just design uh, houses. And you're, you're yeah. based in Beirut. That's where you live and where your studio is. Um, yeah. and, um, I mean, for listeners, we, we had, we did originally have this interview scheduled and it was scheduled for the day after the explosion, um, in Beirut. Um, and obviously we had to, to cancel, um, and must've been a, an extremely difficult, uh, time. And I mean, interestingly for me, it just kind of showed, I mean, this podcast is all about kind of sharing communities and understanding architects and working in different contexts. Um, but the events there were kind of unprecedented and how, how did that kind of I, I know you suffered greatly what how did that kind of impact you like for me on a personal level i was lucky like the house where i am sitting here got completely destroyed 
uh, but I uh, I barely got some scratches. Uh, we're like less than a kilometer away from from the explosion, and the explosion was really like massive, and it was completely unexpected. I was like waiting. I was cooking actually, and I was mm -hmm. having friends over for dinner, and. Uh, and I, I guess, like, I've heard so many stories of people just being really lucky. Like, my, 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 uh, I have friends that live literally uh, 300 meters away from the explosion. Mm -hmm. They went into the bathroom and because they heard, like, they heard there was there were many, many explosions. There were a smaller one, then a huge blast. So when they heard the first explosion, we were told when we were children to hide in the bathroom because you have no windows, etc. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of friends who are still still alive today because they went to the bathroom and hid there. So yeah, it was like even talking about it just like uh, is is uh, difficult because it was surreal. We 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 didn't understand what happened. Uh, like all the windows were completely uh, broken, blast everywhere. Uh, the bar behind me, like all the bottles exploded on this uh, on the ground. And I literally flew from the, I was like standing there. I flew literally uh, to the kitchen and it was, yeah, it was a very tough, very tough, uh, very tough moment for us. And, but like, um, when I think about it, like we were really strong because of, like the next day I saw so many people go going on the streets and helping out and helping cleaning and helping rebuilding, and we, we still are rebuilding uh, Beirut now. And I, I like I, a lot of people told me like <laughs> it's a weird question, but like as an architect, you have a lot of work now because everything is just destroyed and you have to rebuild. And and for me, it's not work. It's just you know I'm just helping out friends. I'm helping out. Uh, uh, preserving, you know, the heritage, the architectural heritage, heritage that completely got, that survived so many wars and with one blast just uh, got wiped. So, yeah, like for us architects and designers, the past uh, a couple of months were just about uh, helping out as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe we'll go on to the the questions that I ask um, all my guests because. Um, I think the next, the first one is is about you and your home, and and as you said, um, at the, the time that I mean, as well as your studio as well, it was it was completely destroyed um, internally and in terms of glazing. Um, but maybe if there's an an aspect of of that home um, that kind of frustrates you from a, from a design point of view, um, I wish it was a bit bigger. Actually, not a bit bigger, a lot bigger because I, I love, you know, buying new stuff, buying furniture and redesigning spaces. And since it's already all, you know, all design, I wish I had, you know, double the, the area or double the, <laughs> the surface to, mm -hmm. to have fun with more uh, spaces. And, uh, and I always wanted to have, you know, a home studio and a home, um, like uh, extensions, extensions of my house. Yeah, and you, but you live in an apartment, right? Yes, I live in a, uh, an art deco building from the 30s, so it's a 100 square meters uh, apartment, approximately. Um, and you know, in Beirut, it's important that you create your bubble, so in a way, my apartment is my little uh, shelter, mm -hmm. and when it, 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 
it uh, exploded, I, I really felt, you know, helpless because it's the only thing that, like, mm. for me and all, like, my friends and all my family, and, like, it was, like, the only space where we felt, you know, uh, safe. Mm-hmm. And seeing it, like, completely destroyed showed us that nothing is really, we can't really take anything for granted anymore. And really, like, COVID was the least of our worries. Yes. While, you know, the world was uh, busy dealing with uh, how, you know, how to uh, work on Zoom and, you know, uh, working around COVID, we were dealing with uh, so many other problems. And yeah. I mean, this might be a strange question, but that experience of for what is for so many people a kind of given of that safe haven and home um, and an experience like that, do you think that kind of impacts your approach as a designer and your thought on, on what home means? Yes, of course, definitely. Like this along with, you know, the, the, the COVID and staying at home. And we also have a huge, uh, a huge crisis, economical crisis in Lebanon. So the, the pound really devalued, lost almost uh, 90% of its value. Uh, so importing uh, materials from abroad and importing, uh, importing construction materials has become almost impossible. So uh, our, um, our approach to design uh, has changed. We have to readapt and to find new, new techniques of constructions and uh, rethink the way we approach uh, design. Mm-hmm. And but very much also though along some of the principles that you did have for Villa Champs of of using materials from site and and work. Yeah, like this site. was a coincidence, <laughs> yeah. by complete coincidence. But yeah, I guess like for all my my upcoming projects, it's become more and more. Uh, it's become part of my ident- identity and my philosophy to uh, be a contextual contextualist, mm-hmm. like to use uh, everything that's available on site as much as possible and uh, and sadly in Lebanon we don't really have a, another choice we have to mm. we have to do it which is great in a way because like you know now clients can't really uh, uh, disagree with me because we need to yes. work with what we have <laughs> Um, you've talked uh, about a wide range of influences through the interview, but if you maybe could pick one home and um, that's really inspired you that you visited and and tell me why it's inspired you. Um, for me, it's not really homes that inspire me because like homes are really personal and mm-hmm. I like each person is different. So I don't see like, I don't get inspired by, by other homes, but I get inspired by, experiences that I live, for example, the experience that I, I, I had in Vals, in the spa of uh, Peter Zumtar, mm-hmm. or uh, another architect that I love is David Chipperfield, mm-hmm. and he did a museum in Berlin, the News Gallery. Uh, for me, it's a masterpiece, so I, I also spend a lot of time there, not just for the artwork, but also to, you know, to appreciate the architecture and uh, the details of the building. Uh, and then if you could choose any designer to design you a home, who would you choose? Oh, Peter Zumtor, I think. Yeah. And why would that be? I mean, I'm, I don't um, know why, but... <laughs> <laughs> because, like, for me, for me, a house is needs to touch on all the senses it, it, and it needs to be timeless. I don't really like no trends and... and uh, uh, 
I like designing things things once, and this is what he does really well, I think. And mm-hmm. he uh, he masters uh, materials and and smells and light and uh, so yeah, I think I, I would trust him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Carl, um, thank you very much for doing this interview. I'm really glad that we were able to to eventually reschedule and I'm really grateful that you've given the time to um, to tell us more about yourself and about Villa Chams. Thank you, George. It was really uh, great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Carl Gurgis, his Project Villa Chams and his band Mashru Layla, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com where you'll find pictures and links to his work. And try out the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and sneak previews of upcoming guests. If you enjoyed the episode, then please give me a review on whichever platform you are listening on as it's a really good way to help other people find the podcast and for me to get feedback. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode and thank you again for listening.